0: This episode is brought to you by Mofad, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org.
1: I'm HRN's Executive Director Katie Mosman-Wadler with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. This week we're celebrating Black culture through the complicated lens of agriculture. We speak to Carla Hall about her uncompromising soul food recipes.
0: And I was like, what am I doing? Why am I
1: changing my family's history for another culture? We also hear from Gabriela Rodriguez at Harlem Growns Youth Farm Uptown.
2: About empowerment and, you know, community resilience building through this work.
1: Um, Food is kind of just a vehicle. Leah Penniman addresses feeling like an outsider in the farming community. I could count on my two hands the number of, of people who appeared to be POC, people of color. And so I literally would go around little slips of paper and, and, and say, hey, meet at one o'clock under this tree so we can talk. Tune in to this week's Meet and Three on Heritage Radio Network. That's meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E, available wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum. I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I would love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. I'm headed to the Charleston Food and Wine Fest in a few weeks with some of my colleagues here at Heritage Radio, and I'd love to hear any suggestions you have for great people to interview, places to eat, things to see. Shoot me an email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, or DM me on Instagram, at thefoodballer. Today's theme, what does a future grocery experience look like? A hundred years ago, people got their grocery goods by going to a store, buying things, and carrying them home. On the surface, not too different from, say, ten years ago. However, my grandmother or my great-grandfather would see what we have now as a very weird way to buy groceries. Don't misinterpret that comment. I don't think it's necessarily better in the past. There are things about the way of shopping that were great. In large part, food was bought when it was in season. It wasn't likely that you'd find a strawberry in an American supermarket in January, but you would find oranges and broccoli. There was a lot less packaging to throw away. We seem to be obsessed with packaging in today's shopping world. The variety of things like apples that are available today is much greater countrywide than it was at that time. And we have access to lots more of what we now call heritage foods, grains, meats, fruits, and more. This is a good thing. The more we know and eat these historic varieties, the more we can keep genetic diversity alive, as there are more and more people on the planet we need to feed. We're in a new moment as things are moving forward in how we eat and cook and get our foods. We can now order food online and have it delivered, and I'm not talking about ordering in Chinese and watching a movie. I'm talking about ordering your produce and your crackers and your peanut butter on the internet and having it delivered. As someone who really loves shopping for food, I don't use online grocery ordering, in part because I haven't found someone who I trust to pick my food the way I would. My guest today is someone who I trust with that. Michael Robinoff grew up watching his father blaze the trail in the natural foods market in New York. Five years ago, he started Farm to People, an online marketplace for real food products sustainably and responsibly sourced to bring great products to people who want to visit the farmer's market, but that's not always possible. I sat down with Michael last week between his sourcing and packing fresh items to ship to his customers. Tune in and check out farm2people.com for more info on how to place your order and use code Michael10 for a discount. hope you enjoy it. Thanks, Michael, for sitting down today to chat. Um, can you tell me about Farm to People?
2: Absolutely. Um, so Farm to People started about five years ago, um, and the whole idea was to create an online marketplace where we could create basically a catalog of what we felt were the best uh, small-batch, hard-to-find, uh, unique specialty items from around the U.S., put them into a centralized uh, e-commerce uh, store, have people be able to browse that selection, and then have it come uh, in a few days to, right to their door. Um, and we, at the time, um, felt like you know this was the first inning, uh, this was probably 2013, uh, the first inning of e-commerce. And essentially, the other players in the realm were more like Good Eggs or Farmigo or these bigger players that had sure. raised a ton of money, and we were trying to be really scrappy about it. Um, I a lot of those people have fallen by the wayside. Totally, yeah, totally, exactly, which was really interesting because it was like really kind of... Uh, at what. Well, at, All at once, really exciting to see so much money and so much enthusiasm going into the space, and also really, you know, debilitating because you were like, "Do I need fifty million dollars to succeed?" Um, It's turned out that, well, uh, the verdict's still out on that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But at the same time, you know, it's definitely not money that will make I think what you do successful. It's Mm. really creating, Mm -hmm. and that's something that we've learned is like there's a lot smaller businesses that I think have carved out really awesome niches, really cool lifestyles. I think content is really key. But at the crux of it, we really just started with how do we put like a farmer's market online. Yeah. Um, we had definitely stops and starts where we like tried to put things like cheese online or ice cream or things like that. And now, you know, five years later, we do see successful like ice cream in e-commerce. But at the time, it was like you need dry ice; that's really expensive. Sure. We couldn't you couldn't do it without dry it's ice. It's so
3: funny you mentioned ice cream. So I remember. Back in the in like the late '90s or very early 2000s, like around 2000 probably, when Urban Fetch started in New York City, yes. and Urban Fetch was this like brand new online thing. And I remember my roommate and I were sitting home one night. We were like, "Let's try this out. Let's order ice cream." And we ordered a pint of Ben and Jerry's, uh-huh. which got delivered to our front door for like four dollars or whatever it was to like buy one pint of ice cream we were like wow that was really weird and why would we ever do that ever again
2: (laughs) exactly well i think that's been that's been something that we've we've kind of learned is like there are certain things that like the the more unique and the more specialty the item that you can deliver the more chance we have of surviving versus like We're not going to compete with the Amazons or the Postmates. And even to some degree, you could argue, like, some of the stuff that Amazon or Postmates delivers is completely worthless. Like, you can absolutely walk like 10 feet to your nearest bodega and find that same pint of ice cream. Right. I mean, especially in New York, right? Especially
3: in New York York City, where, right, you can go to your bodega. um, But still, people do it. People get, you know, I I see Food Kick, I see Fresh Direct trucks all the time everywhere, which is very interesting. I mean, for me, that's not a way that I've ever shopped for food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess having been in the grocery business with the Brooklyn Kitchen, you know, I look at a lot of the products on Farm to People and they're very familiar to me. They're products mm-hmm. that either we had in there in the, in the early days or that we had sold in the past. And so I look at it and I'm like, oh, I could order from Farm to People. It makes sense to me. Like, oh, there's some of my favorite nut butters or there's, you know, Resilience Turmeric or like, you know, there's a lot of products that I see on there. Um, but I never think of
2: grocery shopping online for me. Totally. That's really really fascinating because I think all at once we've been trying to create this sort of ecosystem that's like really really awesome to foodies and really like me like you I'm like looking for like these really you know specialty things I want my you know like whether it's, like, the, the, the nut butter you're talking about, the, what's it called? the Big or, spoon. Big spoon, exactly. I love that they, like, they roast that fresh to order for us, so, like, we're really getting it to customers within one or two months of it yeah. being, like, or and you can taste that difference compared to, like, generic stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I see the value there. What we're really, what I'm really curious about building now is is exactly that next step. I think people are starting to understand the non-grocery aspect and then I've been reading a ton about Europe and about and Europe, you know, which you think of like market lifestyles and not being right. online. <laughs> They're actually ahead of us in terms right. of going to that next step online. I don't know if that comes with trusting the person picking their produce behind the scenes. Maybe they just right. feel like culturally anyone knows what a good oh, piece of good I, I don't point. know I'm yeah. trying uh, I'm fishing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but at the same time I do feel like if you can prove and I think that there are there are e-commerce businesses and I hear Good Eggs in San Francisco is doing an amazing job of of this but there are ways that you can just wow your customer every single time with with picking produce that I honestly think if we're good at picking produce and we get we source locally or source from Bernard Ranches in California and get a, a an orange that you just can't find in a supermarket, people will start to trust us with actually doing a better job than they themselves will do. Sure. Obviously, not Harry Harry Rosenblum. Oh, whatever. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're totally right, and and I think
3: you're hitting on something that I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on. So I you know I st- I recently I, I'm in the middle of reading Grocery by Michael Ruhlman, yeah. and it's a you know I'm just in the beginning part. But, you know, obviously I've thought a lot about grocery and, you know, that the modern grocery store supermarket, as we think of it, doesn't just sell food, doesn't just sell fresh food. Right. You've got the whole the the old center aisle thing that people talk Mm -hmm, about with all the snacks and every, you know, a zillion different things. But one of the things that makes those stores work is the width and breadth of what they sell, and so they're not just selling you one kind of nut butter. They're selling you every kind of nut butter, right? And so the idea is that they're stocking shelves that are so large that every single customer who comes in there, whether they want Skippy, or Jif, or almond butter, or organic, or not organic, or chunky, or creamy, every single person (laughs) leaves with peanut butter of some variety mm-hmm. and I feel like that is a very different approach I feel like that's the Amazon approach mm-hmm. right you go on Amazon you can buy everything everything you could possibly think of in, in every variety in every size right exactly and that's like a supermarket. I mean, uh, the modern supermarket, I think, uh, on average, has 40,000 products in it. Mm-hmm. And you look at something like what we were doing at the Brooklyn Kitchen with retail or what Farm to People is doing. I mean, how many products do you guys have online?
2: At our peak, we had 700, and we're actually looking at bringing that to 500. Right. I think we found, like, it's always that 80-20 rule, right? Yeah. So like we have the stuff that really moves and works, and then there's a lot of really specialty stuff that you have maybe your 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 ardent followers for, but it doesn't quite make sense to stock that year round. Yeah. Um. yeah.
3: So, I mean, you know, so what you're doing is trying to curate these things. And again, as you said, like get people to trust you mm-hmm. and say, listen, we're not going to have, you know, four different kinds of oranges or 19 different kinds of apples, half of which might rot mm-hmm. before anybody buys them all. But you're operating on a margin and you're selling volume. And, you know, in a supermarket, if you sell through enough of them, you still make
2: a profit even if you end up trashing half of them, right? Yeah. And that's a different model from what you're working on. Totally. Um, I think what, to, to speak to that food waste, and I think that's where I hope consciousness is rising with, with customers. I know I know, in paper and in talking to people it is. <laughs> right. it, it, in practice, is going to be something that's going to still need to prove itself out. But, um, I mean, the way that we're ordering is really, so it's like a, it's a, It's a 48-hour cycle, so customers' orders close on Friday evenings for Monday delivery and on Sunday night for Wednesday delivery, not your... 20, you know, your, your 20 minute immediate satisfaction that Amazon or Postmates can yeah. deliver. But the idea there is that we're able to, like, have this communication with farmers and with customers. That's a really, like, organic balance. So we know what farmers are seeing in the fields, what could be harvested, and then we're relaying that to customers who then have until, like, X time to decide. Yeah. And then we go back to said farmer and say, like, we need X of this. Then they don't even have to harvest it. It can literally stay in the ground another week, it can go to a different outlet sure. all there's so many different options about like just fixing that supply chain so that it minimizes the amount of like kale that shows up at my door that I have no you know no customer to buy it right. and then we're stuck eating it or yeah. or, or worse <laughs> throwing it away right. um, and it just, it just feels like a waste and it feels like if you know that like you were saying if you know that you're not the pickiest eater you just want, want quality and you want to know that it's fresh a good cook will know what to do with chard versus kale versus you know right Right. Collards, you know, as long, if, if, if what's most important to you is flavor and knowing that it was, was local and knowing that nothing was wasted, you'll make do with like a really awesome leafy green, even if it's not the perfect leafy green and a good cook going to your recipe or cookbook idea. It doesn't necessarily need to be like red leaf kale. You can try lacinato kale or Tuscan kale and just like. And I think that's getting people more comfortable with cooking. Michael, what led you
3: in your early 20s down the entrepreneurial path? I mean, it's not everybody who at
2: that age says, I'm going to start a logistics company selling food. Totally. Yes. So much like uh, much like Moxie, your daughter, um, I began... Uh, I be, my my first experiences with food go back to before I can really remember life, um, and I grew up with my 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 father who was in the natural products industry and actually had his own uh, chain of retail stores that he ended up selling to Mrs. Green's, which uh, you may okay. know. Yeah, sure. Um, and so. I grew up, you know, whether it was him finishing off construction on one of his retail stores, he, like, jokes that he, like, put me up on a ladder and I got to screw in one of the light bulbs <laughs> as, like, a three-year-old. I um. mean, we, we have a picture of
3: Moxie in a snowsuit asleep on one of the desks near where you and I are currently sitting. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I believe, I don't think there's a picture, but before we installed the staircase to the second floor in the, in the Brooklyn kitchen on Frost Street, uh, there was a ladder up to the second floor and but our office was in the second floor and so there was a day where like the old staircase came out and it took a couple days for the new one to be put in so was a ladder and so i carried her up the ladder in her car seat
2: (laughs) exactly exactly so so I don't know. I think for for both of us, there's a little bit of just that that retail, uh, you know, good food gene that's just <laughs> like you know I, we don't even know where it comes from. Yep. Um, and then I also had like an awesome, you know, uh, my parents were are, are awesome role models, and like they're really the whether it was just just following your heart and doing things that may not seem necessarily, um, you know, like the simplest or smartest path for it, but, but, but will be really fun and you'll learn a ton along the way. And as long as you do it honestly and, and with all of your heart, um, that's something I I'm really fortunate to have grown up with that kind of, that kind of feeling. And I was actually talking, you know, with the team about this the other day and they asked a similar question, like what made you, I think it was, what made you feel like you could do, you could do farm to people, and, and succeed in front of people. And I think the, the the answer that has like as I thought about that question more, because I wanna think about that honestly and give a real a real answer is is that I don't know that I can do it. And that's uh, what makes it exciting. Like sure. I don't know like I don't know that I that this will succeed I don't know that I right. will succeed but that's part of the journey and that's part of the, the diving in the deep end and because I don't know it makes every day so fun and it makes me push so much harder. Sure. Because I don't feel like there's this wasn't this wasn't like something that seems obvious and there's a lot like we talked about earlier there's a lot of people with a lot more money that have have not been able with a lot better with with degrees (laughs) with degrees that have not you know made it work and so to me it's like it's meeting people like you like like um you know all of these restaurateurs who also just had ideas to just open up a restaurant with good food sourcing from farmers directly and doing doing things like that that i'm You know, if you have a product and you can see the passion oozing from those people, you just start to understand like this is something that's more of a calling than necessarily like a good business decision. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, you know, the the hope is that
3: it will be both, right? I mean,
2: the the, the, the
3: hope and the goal uh, is to you know, you are, I think, you know, trying to sustain both the farmers and the producers' businesses, but also sustain your own, right? I mean, you Absolutely. have a staff, you have a responsibility to them, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, it, it seems to be working. You do a lot of, you know, you do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. So when someone goes on your website, when they go to farm2people.com, um, you know, you guys have a shipped subscription box, uh, which I feel like, you know, I feel like the we may have reached, like, the nader of subscription box stuff but I feel like a few years ago it was like everybody there was a subscription box for everything absolutely for pens for pencils for beer for you know popcorn for whatever you want right yeah Um, and then you guys also you sell at pop-up markets Mm -hmm. you do uh, you know you do a fresh box which is more like a CSA and then you also sell a la carte Mm -hmm. right so there's a lot of moving pieces there Um, can you talk a little bit about sort of how those various aspects sort of work together
2: yeah, absolutely, um, and I think that's that's a moving target too. So sure, the, um, we always. I'll start with pop-ups because to me, um, like having that physical touch point with a customer is something that immediately when I when everything started to go online, I immediately tapped into that feeling of where will that personal connection go, um, and then I met I, I met the the owner of Urban Space um really fortunately through a friend of a friend and like got a meeting with him and pitched him on this idea that we should have a little pop-up at the Union Square Holiday Market. And through that and through iterations and figuring out kind of the flow of what people are looking for in those holiday markets and how it can link up with online, I started to feel like if we can really create a an embodiment of the brand in 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 the flesh, yeah. people will be more connected to the food and to what we're doing online as a result. So mm-hmm. I still feel we, we want to do things like events and dinners and get even more into the kind of... Physical realm, not necessarily, because I feel like retail is where things are going. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, as you can imagine, I probably feel like things are going more towards <laughs>
3: sure. towards
2: online and convenience. But I do feel like. As we shift away from retail, there's going to be that piece of community and that piece of retail that customers will miss, um, and it's going to be more experiential retail. Um, and so the pop-ups were something that, and again, maybe it's just having grown up in my dad's stores and just knowing a lot of other retailers from from his generation and from a newer generation. I do feel like when you can create a special spark in 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 person it's, it's really meaningful. So that's the one not so obvious piece to like the farm to people.com site that we do that, that I think makes me really happy and really fulfills me in a way because I love meeting people. I love showing them. I love talking to them in person. And it's something that I desperately feel is missing online and we're trying videos, we're trying things out, but there's nothing like this one-on-one connection.
0: This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MOFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. The museum currently operates MOFAD Lab, a 5,000-square-foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where Chow, making the Chinese-American restaurant, is currently on show until the end of March 2019. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese-American restaurants, tracing their nearly 170-year history, and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American. It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese-American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910 and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese American cuisine. Make sure you check out Chow while you still can. The exhibition closes at the end of March 2019. Check out MOFAD's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org events.
3: I mean, I think it's very interesting. We're in a very interesting time with grocery. I mean, I think that, you know, people's relationship to grocery and grocery shopping is very different for different people. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember, you know, both my parents worked, and my mom would go to the grocery store, like, on a weeknight at, like, 9 Mm p.m. Like, she would put us to bed when I was a kid, and then she would go to the grocery store. And I remember, you know, her feeling like it was drudgery, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it was was something that had to get done, right? Because we needed food. But it wasn't something that was fun. In in his book, Grocery, Ruhlman writes about how his father loved going to the grocery store. Like, Saturday was his dad's day, and he would visit four or five different grocery stores Mm -hmm. in Cleveland where they (laughs) lived. And, you know, and and that's a very different relationship. I love grocery stores. Mm -hmm. Part of it from being in the business, I love looking at different products. I like seeing what's out there. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time... You know, people, not everybody has the same relationship to it. And sometimes going to the grocery store sucks. Sometimes I'll, you know, I'll be like, oh, man, we're out of oatmeal. And, like, that's what I need to make the kids for breakfast in the morning. And it's 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, we live in New York, as we talked about. And, like, sure. So I go down to the bodega and buy some oatmeal so I have food to feed my children in the morning. Right? If it was just me, I would eat something else. (laughs) But, like, you know, your kids kind of get into a habit and they want something specific. And you kind of have have to do that for them. Yeah and then you know but then there's also the aspect of it of like enjoying the shopping that you're doing and i think that's the that's what Ruhlman's father really liked about it and i think that's why people like going to a butcher or going mm-hmm. to a bakery and potentially meeting someone that has had a hand in the creation of that food and it is that personal connection and so we are in this weird moment of you know people i, I you know are going to a place like farm to people and they they want to know about mark who makes uh, or, you know big spoon
0: mm-hmm. uh, yeah.
3: you know uh, nut butters who is a great guy and who is super cool and is making this incredibly fresh product but they can't meet him Right, and they want to be able to order it because they don't necessarily have time to find a store that happens to sell it, right? And they're not going to spend the time to do that. And so, how do you forge those connections? And so, I think it's very new. I think we still are in like the very early stages of it. And I feel like it's odd for a business, the grocery industry. I mean, you know, A and P essentially the Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company created that in the nineteenth century, the grocery as we understand it now. And you know, that business seems well formed. Right. Mm -hmm. If you ask people, oh, you know, what happens in a grocery store and supermarket, everybody knows what that means. Right. But if you ask somebody like, well, how do you order that food from this tiny little supercomputer in your pocket? Right. That's very new. I mean, you know, the iPhone has not existed for that long. Yeah. So we're in this space of how do you put this technology? But how do you keep a connection to people?
2: And food is so personal. Exactly. I think if, if, if we can be successful at doing that, what, what what I think that future looks like is knowing that the, the this great quality, that your oatmeal, that your milk, that your yogurt, that your eggs, that your vegetables are going to show up every Monday, every Wednesday, every Friday, when, whatever night you need it to, and that you can eliminate that unfun part of keeping your fridge stocked yeah. um, and keeping your pantry stocked so that you know in the morning my kids are going to have breakfast, yeah. you know, I'm going to have my, my half and half for my coffee, I'm going to have my coffee, whatever those right. n- yeah, staples yeah. are <laughs> that we yeah. all need to get through our, through our days successfully. Um, if you can know that that Unfun part of keeping track of everything and keeping your house inventory, for lack of a better word, like yeah. in 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 stock, um, then then that allows you to really go out and experience the really fun pieces of shopping, the experience experiential stuff yeah. that doesn't even need to be commerce that doesn't need to be going to a store to buy something it can be going to an event space and learning how to make dumplings right going sure. to an event space and listening to mark talk about what it means to get nuts you know from the virginia's in north carolina and and then milling uh, or roasting them and grinding them within you know weeks as opposed to what happens in you know at jiff when Right. It takes you know those those nuts are all rancid, and why are people now you know allergic to peanuts on such a on such a larger scale than when you were a kid like yep. that's that's not normal like that didn't happen normally, yeah. like um, and so I really think that if we can look at retail less as I'm trying to sell you something, it's more I want to enrich your experience and your relationship to food, and here's how, and then the other stuff, like, yes, you still need to eat. I can get yeah. you that any time of the day, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, yeah. How do you guys choose products for Farm to People? Ooh, I mean, <laughs> it's it's the most fun piece, um, right. and also the most challenging piece because it's 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 thinking through what sounds delicious, but what also will fit in terms of like a price point, and also then. Mm-hmm. Something that we've noticed over over the five years is just how many jam makers or how many... Now we're seeing this explosion of hot sauce makers. And what's the reality there in terms of uh, how how many people want to try a different hot sauce with every order and how many people want to order like three or four and then when you see them come back, they're only ordering like that one. Like They they tried four and then they found their one and then... So... In terms of offering and not getting overloaded with SKUs, it's like finding that 500 you know items that we find the best, that our customers find the best, sure. that they're ordering consistently, and not overwhelming them with options. The one nice thing about going to a supermarket is and i still think you're overwhelmed but at least you know most of those brands for better or worse you know right. like sure. i never you know want to buy like hersheys as my chocolate option yeah. but i know what hersheys is i know it comes with like such and such territory such and such price point yeah. Yeah. like when you're when you're pitching 500 or 600 really unique specialty items People don't, like, you're so easily, like, gla- your eyes glaze over. You're yeah. like, what makes this cool-sounding hot sauce different from this cool-sounding hot mm-hmm. sauce And Scotch Bonnet versus Habanero versus... Yeah. So we really also, our, we find our job is to really also be the curator, and that is fun, but also comes with its its share of, bur- you know, burden. Yeah. I want to know that when Harry comes to Farm to People, Harry's going to be presented with, like, the 12 just best hot sauces and not... We don't need to be Amazon. We don't need you to come here and be like, here are 200, you know, you know artisanal hot sauce. Well, and,
3: and, and it must be a struggle too, because the you know we also, I think, are living in an age of an entrepreneurial explosion. Mm-hmm. So you have people starting these cottage industries, and food is a huge place for that. So there are, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm sure that I could probably find some statistics on this, but there have got to be more small food brands on the market today, probably by like an order of magnitude than yeah. there were 10, 20 years ago.
2: Oh, absolutely.
3: And you know, a lot of that has to do with all kinds of things. It has to do with people losing their losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. It has to do with them looking for something to do. It has to do with people having a great idea. I mean, we Teller and I used to joke that it was granola years ago. <laughs> like everybody was like, "My, I have the best granola recipe. I should start a granola company, right?" Yep. And now that's <laughs> happening with hot sauce. Part of it is preserving the harvest, right? I mean, like. Hot sauce is a really, really great product. If you are growing peppers in your backyard, how many scotch bonnets could you possibly eat when they're fresh? Not that many. (laughs) So you gotta do something with them, right? And hot sauce is great, it lasts. Often it's either fermented or has vinegar, so you've got acid in there, and it's gonna, it you know, is a way to preserve that harvest. And it's a value add for farmers. Exactly. Exactly. So it's a way for them to get longevity out of a product, but on the other side of it, how much hot sauce can a person possibly use? Exactly. Or need? Even the people who love hot sauce more, like who eat hot sauce at every meal, right? <laughs> how many how many jars
2: of it are you going through? It's not the same as eggs or milk, right? We've yeah. noticed that too, from just a product cycle standpoint, which is why to go back to the business lines, we really feel like having this weekly subscription and it doesn't even need to be a subscription, we're actually coming out with a, a thing next week knock on wood, cool. <laughs> where you'll be able to literally just a la carte order a vegetable box, order eggs, order stuff from us because we'll have what we believe to be like the best eggs from, yeah. you know, Striker Farm in Pennsylvania, we'll be getting, you know, his pork, we'll be getting Dan from Happy Valley Meats, like really awesome ground beef or his flat irons and, and we just feel like, you know, this stuff isn't what, you, this is what you can get at really awesome, you know, New York City restaurants, but this hasn't been available to whole home cooks so much okay. and we want to without, bring that without a lot of work without right? a lot i of mean work. yeah you know
3: i mean i i think that's the that's the piece where the value proposition of, a, of something of farm to people comes in for me mm-hmm. is that you can get all of those things you just have to go to five or six different small stores to be able to access them all totally right and yeah. so if all you have is time Or you happen to be someone who is a freelancer who travels around the city a lot. You could hit all those places, right? You could stop at Kalustians. You could stop at Foster Sundry. You could stop at the Meat Hook. You could go to Ottomonelli's. You can go to the Union Square Farmer's Market. Like, you could do all those things, but the
2: average person, that's very unlikely. Exactly, yeah. And which is what I found, which is what I found. So I actually started when I was... When Farm to People was, was just starting, I was working at the farmer's market at Union Square for Hawthorne Valley. I went to a Waldorf school, which was a, you know, a school on the Upper East Side, but we would take trips as, a, as kids to the farm. And so when I needed to do community service... I asked if I could do it um, at the farm, and that got me a job at the at the farmers market. Oh, nice! And so I got to see that firsthand. Which there was the there's the regulars, the people that live around Union Square that come every week, and then there's those people that are like, I, like they, their first thing they say is, "I wish I was here last week, but I couldn't make it." And you started to realize that there's people that so many people that aspire to go to the farmers market and to eat this way every single week, and then life gets in the way, whether it's mm. a business trip, kids, birthday parties, work, whatever, whatever it may be, that. If they could get that quality delivered, I started to see this opening and Ah. this, this kind of opportunity. I live about 10 blocks away from Foster Sundry. I hit that probably... Once every every two weeks, Kalustians is like once every six months or once every year. Cause sure, cause going to twenty eighth and yeah. Lex is not you know <laughs> not super often in in my life and in my, right. my where I'm where I'm walking. So I love I love both stores equally, but yeah. exactly like you're saying, I just can't. But well, we were talking earlier about Snook Foods.
3: Yeah, I had Max Falkowitz on on this show uh, a couple months ago. You know that Kalustians is their partner, so you know you can order from Snook Foods and get a lot of your Colustian stuff delivered right to your door now.
2: Totally. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's what we're, we're seeing. There's so many different avenues and channels for how to get, like, Colustians I actually did order before pre-Snook Foods. Yeah. I ordered Colustians online, which I thought was really interesting. I mean, it's all now going online, and I think we're going to start to see, like, different... There, Someone's going to create tools. I think there's a company called Mercado that's doing this, which is kind of like Instagram... Uh, sorry, Instacart for... Right for independent retailers. I almost feel like there's going to need to be, like, an app sort of, like, where you have... Something where you can like task manage, but it's like yeah. for all of your different favorite stores, mm. and instead of it being like Amazon, which is like this own e commerce setting, it'll be like a, a marketplace that manages all of your different subscriptions and manages all these different things, so that because remembering to log into whether you know your Blue Apron or your gym <laughs> membership, there's too right. many subscriptions. <laughs> sure, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you just look at your credit card, and you're like, I forgot I had that, right. or and so there's someone, someone you know from google we'll figure that <laughs> we'll figure that i mean i think the, the thing then
3: though it it gets back to you know it gets back to that trust aspect of like you know if you're ordering through a third party who then is contacting your you know grocer of choice or butcher of choice or cheesemonger of choice it's about trusting that person to relay that information correctly essentially right i mean yeah. and and you know i mean my my personal parable about that is like the you know i used fresh direct exactly once I mean, it was very early on and I suppose I should give them another try if I'm in need of that, but I don't mm-hmm. really need that service at the moment. Um, you know, but I ordered uh, cilantro and I had like planned a, a menu around like needing cilantro for something and they sent me tarragon instead. And I was like, well, I can't, that doesn't help me. Now I have, the whole point of this was I didn't want to go to the grocery store mm-hmm. or I didn't have time. Yeah. And you sent me tarragon. I cannot sub that for cilantro. Right. Yeah. And it was tarragon that was labeled cilantro. So the question is, who like you know the person who picked that off the shelf in the freezer or the in the refrigerator, like it said cilantro, right? Yeah. They didn't check it. Somebody mislabeled it. These kind of mistakes happen, of course, right? Yeah. But it was just it was very offputting as a as
2: a you know it it, it lost my trust. Yeah, absolutely, and that's where I think online is is. I mean it's obviously like that's up to the retailer to get that right every single sure. time. Yep. I also find in online what's interesting and we were talking about, you know, picking picking the right produce or trusting someone else to pick that right produce for you. And I find this to be a really a really different experience from the, the physical grocery shopping world. If I go to a store and I pick up an avocado that then I bring home and I'm like, oops, that had a, you know, like I, I misfelt it. I thought it was ripe. It wasn't. I always, the onus is on me, Sure, but if I, you know, I'm feeling the avocados that we're sending out to customers and I feel like it's a good avocado, but it ends up being bruised, then the onus is on me again, you know, on the company yeah, that sent sure. it. So there's definitely this, this, this added and i think it's going to make every the whole supply chain better because it's the difference between profit and no, and and not being profitable but is going to be holding everybody from farmer to whether it's distributor to e- uh, to 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 pick and packer yeah. to delivery person all the way down that line we have so much more responsibility to get that perfect product to the end user because it's now not on you. You're paying us to do that. No,
3: it's a very, it's a very good point. Yeah.
2: And I, yeah, it's a challenge. I think it's a, it's a fun challenge. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, who's your target customer at farm to people? It's, it's busy. It's very busy women for the most part. Um, we have some really amazing customers and what they tell us is, is that we're helping them exactly what I was saying before. We're helping them feel like they're hitting the farmer's market every single week and supporting, uh, you, you know, small farms from around the, you know, what, what do we call it, 200, 250 miles from, from New York City. Um, and they really feel like as a result, um, they're getting to eat healthier, they're getting to try new things. When we give them, re- we give these recipe suggestions and tips and storage tips, we're giving people kind of this connection to the food in a way that, and we hear this a lot, customers, when even when they go to the farmer's market, you're 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 pulled in the direction of the foods that you're most comfortable cooking. So yep. even if you're at the farmer's market and you're supporting a local farmer, you may still be just buying potatoes or carrots or yep. peppers or, you know, or lettuce, and you're not trying spigarello or... Kohlrabi. kohlrabi. Or, exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, even purple top turnips sure. or any of that stuff. That's And then we give pip- pickling tips or all these different ideas, and they're like, wow, that's delicious. I had... And then... Thanks to restaurants and the the, the, the the raising what do you you know, the raising sensibilities that people are having in terms of when you go out and eat at a Marlowe and Sons or a Diner or or pretty much any restaurant these days, you're seeing something unique on a, on a on a menu that you didn't see ten years ago. Yep. Kimchi, whatever. And then we're delivering those products that make it easier for you to even try those things at home. Mm. So I think it's my hope is that it's a good collision of just people people looking for and trying new flavors, wherever that is in their life. And if we can bring that back to your own kitchen, it can be a really awesome, you know, experience for customers. Very, very cool. I mean, I, I'm very, uh, I'm
3: excited to see like what the future holds for the grocery business and for what farm to people's Pieces that um, you uh, you said in answering some questions I sent you before this interview uh, that if you could have dinner with anyone it would be Danny Meyer or Michelle and Barack Obama um, I think they'd be I mean I I don't see why you wouldn't want to have dinner with all three of them all together three, yeah. right? <laughs> um, Have you sent any
2: of them a uh, Farm to People uh, box I haven't I emailed uh, Sam Cass once yep. and never got a response but he, I was I was thinking like I you know I don't I don't know how I would reach. M- michelle obama but i was thinking yeah, i don't think you him. can just like blind <laughs> send a package to the obamas at this point probably exactly. and if that happened it gets blown
3: up out in the you know in the middle of a field somewhere exactly
2: exactly but i think what they did obviously you know we're ever more thankful for them today than we were even two two years ago <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Um, but i think that like just having a commander in chief and 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 a first lady that believe in good food and go out and, and, and explore the world through food and yep. the fact that they they see the value in your you know, raising your kids to eat the right way and garden. I mean it it, sure. it, it makes me wanna like cry now.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but I mean I feel like I feel like there's the the only I mean, like they have such a great touch point with food of having had bees and had the garden at the White House and the things that Sam casted. did. All of the other things that I can think of related to presidents and food are like Reagan making ketchup a vegetable. Right? I mean, he didn't do it personally, but, like, under his administration, ketchup being considered a vegetable in school lunch. Uh, uh, George Bush uh, hating broccoli, famously. Um, and now our current commander-in-chief who, you know, serves fast food and likes his steak well done with ketchup.
2: Yeah, It's, 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 it's a sad state of the union, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, I think that beyond, beyond them obviously being some of the most intelligent (laughs) diplomatic people in the world, they also, their connection to food speaks to me a lot. I'd love to learn leadership and all of that from them, but just, I think sharing a good dinner would be amazing. And then Danny Meyer, similarly, as I'm trying, we talked about this in terms of how do you create a company that is, is holds all of your employees accountable the right way incentivizes them the right way pays them fairly and gives them everything that they need to have you know a a really awesome life the right way but then also like remembers to make a profit um (laughs) because because danny Myers figured out how to do that and i'm 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 striving um and 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 creates an amazing customer experience and i I like i read his book setting the table and i just like to pick his brain for more are there any products that you
3: wish you had uh, available at Farm to People that you haven't had good luck either, like keeping in stock or even finding a supplier for?
2: Hmm. Well, milk has always been a major challenge because of temperature, um, yeah. and we're and, and then also shelf life. Um, if you're a, a, a dairy farmer out there that has really awesome <laughs> milk, uh, I would love to figure out how to like you know because almost what we're doing is is if in the fifties you had the milkman, if we yep. can be that kind of milkman of the 21st century. Yeah. Um, but I want it to be that amazing grass fed milk that, you know, got wiped out after, you know, in, in the sixties and seventies. Yeah. And, but if we can go back to what milk was, you know, and, and, and well, now, now it's funny, I joke, because, you know, you used to get your whole milk, and everybody had whole milk, and it was the same milk, and now it's, you know, skim, or 1%, or 2%, okay. or whole milk, or right. oat milk, or... Um, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. milk. The milk game yeah.
0: <laughs> is, it's all is not
2: what it was. So, yeah, I think... I, I definitely want to... I... I As a, as an, you know, I don't know, as an American, as someone who grew up, like, with, like, cereal on the table and oatmeal and things like that, like, to me, like, every day kind of, like, started a little bit with, like, whole milk, and now I understand it should, it can be whatever milk you need it to be, but I still feel like milk is that essential staple of Mm. milk and eggs, really, you know, when you think of the grocery store, you think of milk and eggs first, and then there's all the other fun stuff, (laughs) but it's milk and eggs, (laughs) so, Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sitting down
3: to talk to me today on Feast Your Ears. Um, I encourage everybody to go check out farmtopeople.com. Um And I believe that there is a discount code with your name in it. Is that right? That yeah. Do code Michael10. Yeah. And you can get 10% off uh, your first order. Uh, you can follow farm to people at farm to people on Instagram uh, and hear about all the awesome products that they have. Thank you, Harry. Okay. Appreciate Thanks, it. Michael. Thanks for listening to Feast Your Ears today. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org, on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Please take a moment to rate and review the show, and please reach out if you have any questions. You can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on Instagram, at thefoodballer. Talk to you next week. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family and become a member. Thanks for listening.